This is recording number 11089 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, February 2, 2014. This is the fifth and final message in a series titled, The Dynamic Disciplines. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, Giving. Loosening the Grip. Five of what I consider essential disciplines of faith. And the reason I qualified it by saying what I consider is because there isn't any scripture we could turn to this morning and find a list of the dynamic disciplines. It's just that when you read the Bible, you can't help but encounter uh, how these and perhaps some others, but certainly these disciplines are a part of of the lives, the history, the story of the men and women that populate the Bible, the people who have, who turned this world upside down in the name of the Lord. And I want to be that kind of person. I want to be someone that the Lord could use to make a significant impact on this world in his name. But I also want him to be able to make a significant impact on me. And these things that that we're talking about um, have bearing on both of those activities. So we've talked about Bible reading, prayer, fellowship, last week evangelism, and today giving, and I gave you a month's notice. So you're here today, I assume, knowing what you're getting into, and uh, so I'm not going to apologize. In fact, I wouldn't anyway, because listen up. If you came to me, and you've already settled the issue of your faith in Christ, so that's a done deal, that's most important, but you said to me, Pastor... I'm on my way to heaven. I know Jesus is my Savior. My sins are cleansed, and I'm grateful to God for that. What, aside from faith in Christ, is the one thing that would make the most difference in my life? My answer would be giving. It has, it has impact on so many aspects of our lives. Getting, loosening our grip on material things causes material things to lose their grip on us. And there's a freedom that comes to life, uh, a way of relating to God that is so much pure, so much more right. And so I, I do not apologize for talking to you about this subject. However, it isn't something that we talk a lot about. I try to come to this subject about once a year, it's been about, it's been close to a year and a half since the last time we talked about these things. Um, so, you know, we, uh, I, it's a kind of a standing joke, you know, with people who uh, are trying to excuse not going to church. They'll say, you know, to the person who's inviting them, oh, all those people ever do is talk about money and that kind of thing. So if you're that person and today's your first time to coming to church, <laughs> prophecy has been fulfilled. <laughs> But I assure you, it, it isn't a, a subject that we harp on or deal with a lot. Although, like I said, it is so important <clears throat> and uh, brings so much uh, value to our lives. I'm asking you now to turn to Mark chapter 12, and we're going to begin reading at verse 41. A familiar story, but I'd like for you to just try to see it with new eyes. Ask the Lord to help you to be able to see this freshly as we read it in case you've been 
hanging around with Christians long enough that you've encountered this previously. Verse 41. Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury and many who were rich put in much. Now that would be a little intimidating, wouldn't it? What if we sent Jesus around with the offering basket this morning? You know, and he just kind of, you know, checking it out. It might, might change your behavior just a tad, you know? Um, but that's what he's doing. Parks himself right in front of the offering basket and watches what people put in. And there's a lot of rich people, it says there. They come in, they put in, you know, they bring their wheelbarrow full of gold or whatever it is and chuck it in there. He's not impressed. Then verse 42, a, a one poor widow, and the word poor there is absolute, in the original, it's absolute, absolutely destitute. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites. Now, a mite is like a fifth of a penny. So she's putting in less than half of a penny, which makes a quadrant. That's another uh, Roman coin. So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, and these words are in red in my Bible because Jesus spoke them. Hold the phone. Stop the presses. As surely I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. You know, if you it, to hear some preacher guys like me tell it, you'd think that the scene would be just the opposite. That Jesus would be making a fuss over the rich people putting in tons. That doesn't impress Jesus. He does not need our money. Look, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the scripture says. He's doing all right. He doesn't need me to finance his kingdom. So he's not interested in the quantity. He's interested in our hearts. That's what this is always. Everything about our relationship with God is always about our hearts. So I want to talk to you a little bit about this passage. And the first thing I've kind of already alluded to, Jesus is interested in our giving. This tells us for sure. Jesus cares about what's going in the plate. Jesus is interested in our giving. And he's interested in two ways. First, because of support of spiritual ministry. Now, I've said, and it's absolutely true, God does not need our money. But he has given us an opportunity through our giving to uh, participate in unleashing spiritual ministry. The second, the number two in terms of the ways that Jesus is interested in our giving is in terms of offering material aid to those in need. So supporting spiritual ministry and offering aid to those in need. You cannot read the scriptures without seeing that God, page after page after page, is interested in the hurting, the broken, the poor, the lame, over and over, people in need. He, his heart rushes to them. And when we give, we're part of that. Jesus is interested in our giving for three reasons. First, because it positions us in faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says this, It is impossible to please God without faith. And when I have to open my wallet and see the 
puny pile of stuff in there. In fact, it's completely <laughs> empty today. And, and, and put it in the offering basket. Yes, last week I almost put my credit card in there. I don't know if that was in this service or the other one. I, that won't work. But anyway, when I do that, I am trusting God. I'm saying, God, everything I have comes from you anyway. I'm trusting you. So it's a way to um, exercise, not the only by any means, but it is a way to exercise my faith to say I trust in God. It also provides a means for partnership. We have this amazing God who wants to uh, allow us to be with him, to be partners with him in what he's doing. You know, there was a period of time when I was on sabbatical, uh, you know, between pastorates, and um, a wise man had told me one time that because so much of what I do is cerebral, he said, you ought to take the time when you have a chance away from ministry and do as much physical labor as you can. Wasn't sure I liked that idea so much, but anyway, I, I took it, and I, it was really a good idea. And I, so I spent about three months working on a construction crew as a laborer, and I, so mostly I was just hauling around uh, lumber and picking up stuff and whatnot. Every once in a while, they let me swing a hammer, but they figured out pretty quickly that wasn't a good idea, <laughs> and they took it away from me. Um, but so I had next to nothing to do with the, the fruit of these labors, but we were building, I think, about three or four homes at the end of this cul-de-sac and new development. And let me tell you, though I had next to nothing to do with the construction of those homes, when they were built, I took every single person I knew by there to show them what I had done. (laughs) Because we want to be a part of something bigger than us, right? We do. And God loves to involve us in his global redemptive program you and i have a part to play in that so giving allows us to have that it provides a one means not the only but one means to part- participate and to be a partner with him in what he's doing and it loosens the grip of materialism on our lives jesus said in matthew 6:24 no one no one no one can serve two masters you cannot he said I figured Jesus knows what he's talking about since he set this whole thing up. And he said, you can't serve God and material things. You can't. I'm always trying to find this hybrid of the two where they meet somehow, but they don't. He said, choose. You can't serve both. It's impossible. And in Matthew 16, 25, he said, whoever desires to save his life Whoever desires to, you know, amass to himself to put together the package that will uh, secure him, that person is going to lose his life. He's going to lose it. It's going to slip through his fingers. He said, if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. Pretty powerful stuff. So Jesus is interested in our giving in two ways and for three reasons. But he's mostly interested in how we give. How we give is what matters. The heart behind it. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, he said that he loves a cheerful giver. Give joyfully. This woman, this poor widow, nobody expected her to give anything. There was no compulsion, no um, pressure on her, no feeling 
of guilt and shame. In fact, quite the opposite. In fact, when she put in those coins, I can, I'll bet you there were people who thought, what is she doing? That's all she's got. Now the rest of us are going to have to make up for that. Nobody, there was no pressure on her to give whatsoever. She gave out of a heart of desire. I want to do this. And the Lord's, you know, my, I have a pretty wise pastor. His name's Ralph Moore. And when Sue and I were growing up in his church as teenagers, he'd, he'd do this often when the offering was being received. He'd say, hey, if you can't give joyfully, save it. Go buy a burger after this service because it doesn't count. That was wise. When we, when we give to God out of a sense of pressure or obligation, it doesn't count. It doesn't matter. God isn't looking. He does, it's not a tax. Yeah. It's an opportunity. So we give joyfully. And we don't give to impress. These guys, these rich guys in the story, that's what they were doing. They were trying to impress people. Jesus was not impressed, <laughs> you know. So we don't, we don't do it to try to impress God or to try to impress... Have you ever used this argument? Well, God, you know, I, I sacrificed so much for you. I'm, I'm cringing because I've said those things in the quietness of my heart. We don't give to impress and we don't give as a means, a means to something. Um, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, it says that there are some people who believe that godliness is a means to gain. In other words, when I do what God says, it gets me something. There's a, there's a, a quid pro quo. Paul in that uh, passage continues by saying, no, 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 it's not that. We, we don't do godly things. We don't do what's right. We don't do righteous things because of what it gets us. And says, in fact, he says, godliness is itself great gain. Amen. It's not a means to gain. It is itself great gain. When I give, which is godly, that act is gain. That act. So we don't do it as a means to anything else. And we give with the first fruits. In Exodus chapter 23, it says that. You can read it for yourself later. Verse 19. What are first fruits? Well, they're not the last fruits. <laughs> they're not the leftovers. I can tell you that for sure. You know, I, look, I struggled with this. I was, you know, especially early in our married life and we had, well, we still don't have anything. But I mean, when we had even less than we have now. And we were... Uh, you know, pastors and knew that we'd never have anything <laughs> as pastors. Uh, this whole idea of giving to God and especially tithing, which we'll get into in just a minute, just really rocked me. And I had every excuse in the world. Um, some you haven't even thought of, I had. And... <laughs> And uh, I would say to God, okay, you know, I'm already sacrificing so much to do this. Surely you don't expect me to tithe. There was silence on the other end of the line. <laughs> Eventually I got around to realizing that, you know, this, this is for me too. Uh, this is something God wants to bless me with too. 
So I finally got around to that, but then, then I get to this point where I would say, okay, God, I'll give you a tithe or 10% of my income if you take care of all my other needs. You know, when, when the rent is paid, then I'll give you what's left over. Yeesh. That's not the first fruits. Sue's going to come and tell you a little story about first fruits and a lesson we learned regarding that. Well, one time, we have a lot of stories. But the one that really came to my mind happened many years ago. And we were, um, it was our second pastorate, and we were the interim pastors. We'd come from the Bay Area here down to the Central Valley of California and took a church that was in a lot of trouble. We were only there two years. And um, we'd come from a fairly flourishing church and had always been taken care of fairly well. And um, it got, things got really bad in the church there because it was a, a messy turnover. And um, people were upset. They were mad. They were hurt. By not the at us. but Not at us, no. <laughs> but they were, you know, it was just not a good thing. But it came down to uh, Randy and I both working outside the church. Our kids were still home. We had three kids. The girls were in high school and uh, Jeremy in junior high. And it came to, I will never forget this, it was one Saturday morning, and Randy sat me down. We were at the kitchen table. We were by ourselves, and he said, we really don't have enough to meet, pay, make our house payment and our needs. But we have, we, we have, the money we have is just right here. It had just come in. But we have a decision to make. Are we going to give our tithe, as we've been doing? Because by that time, it had become a regular practice. And it hadn't, you know, when we were first married at all. Or are we going to pay our bills? And I'm not kidding. We were sobered. And, uh, you know, it was not an easy time. Our oldest daughter was having struggles. The church was having struggles. And now our personal finances. So I kind of want to paint the picture a little bit that it really was a struggle for us. And one of us said, we, I remember we looked at each other. We were holding hands. And um, one of us just said, you know, we can't lead people in faith if we don't have faith. If we don't trust the word of God to take care of us, even if we lose everything, you know, what do we have to talk about? What do we have to lead people in about knowing Jesus? And he wrote the check out. We sat there and gave it to the church. And it would, I want you to know it wouldn't have come, oh, they're just giving it so they can get it back. No, at this point, we're just trying to keep the church afloat. That church is now flourishing. It's, they've moved on to a great building and all this. But that time, it was a struggle. It was to keep the lights on. Well, literally about two, three days later, in the mailbox, there was this check for a significant amount of money. What had happened was, when we put the pieces all together, there was a letter with it. It was from a church that we had been a part of years before, a good 12, 15 years ago. Never had heard from them since. You know, not, uh, not like we were cut off or anything like that. But there was no need. We'd always done well. There was no need. But they had been having a council meeting on that Saturday morning that we sat around the table. And I, they said in the letter, one of us, all of a sudden in prayer, Randy and Sue, you guys, your name came to my mind. It came to that person's mind. And they said, you know what? They need us right now. I just sense God telling us. Could we as a church body give them the significant amount of money? And it was at that same exact time. They wrote the check and it came. And I want to tell you, that broke something in Randy and I. And um, not that we're 
great people. It's not like, oh, don't you all have just the greatest pastors? I think we're pretty transparent. You know what you got. Um, (laughs) And you still come. Um, But you know what? That broke something because it broke an elitist attitude in us that the pastorate or serving God was that we were set apart and that people should take care of us. No, you know, you do this because of Jesus. And, and I have witnesses. I've said, if we lost this church tomorrow, if, if the bills didn't get paid, it broke something in us, that tide, that thing. We don't do this for anything. We do this because Jesus has called us to. And that was the greater work of God, is that he did that. And I, I'm so grateful for his faithfulness. Thanks, son. Thanks. And that was about first fruits because we, we, could, we decided in that moment, and it was a hard one, not to give God our leftovers. So we give, how we give matters joyfully, not to impress, not as a means, with first fruits and as a sacrifice. You know, um, when, uh, well, I'll tell you what, I'll save that story for later. But there isn't anything of value that we ever give anybody that is, doesn't have a measure of sacrifice to it. Yesterday, um, we went to a wedding and uh, I, we put a check in an, in an envelope. And I, put, I wrote down on that check the amount that the Lord spoke to my heart, and it was hard, <laughs> you know? Um. Okay, maybe we're not told. <laughs> <laughs> but I knew that that was right because I felt it, you know? It was sacrificial. And so anything, you know, that, that is meaningful costs you. In fact, David famously, you guys will know the story about David when... He needed to come to the Lord in repentance and offer a sacrifice. And the guy was trying to give him everything that he needed for the sacrifice, the place to do it, the actual animal to be sacrificed and everything, so that David didn't have to invest anything in it. And he said, heck no, I will not offer to God that which costs me nothing. So sacrificially. I want to talk to you a little bit now about the vocabulary of giving. Uh, First, this word tithe. It's T-I-T-H-E, not T-I-D-E. Sometimes people think of it as a, as a uh, laundry detergent. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I've had people say, well, I'm, I'm tidying, Pastor. <laughs> well, I hope your clothes are clean. That's... <clears throat> and it simply means a tenth, a tenth, 10%. Now, it was... The tithe was a specific obligation under the Mosaic Law, or that, the, that's the first, first five books of the Bible are the books of Moses, and in there are the Ten Commandments and a lot of rules and regulations regarding the life of the Jewish people, and the tithe was a specific obligation to the people of Israel. They were to give God 10% of their income. And in Leviticus 27.30, it says that 10% belongs to God. It wasn't even theirs. He was, it was his. And they were just returning to him what belonged to him. And in Malachi chapter 3, it says that this tithe was supposed to be brought into the storehouse, that place of the, uh, where people were invested spiritually. And those things, <clears throat> they, they uh, inform our New Testament understanding of tithing, but let's just understand that that came from a different um, covenant, the Old, uh, Old Testament covenant, the law. It's not undone by the New Testament, but actually made more uh, illuminated um, 
brings it to full flower, the meaning of what God was instructing people through those regulations. It was also a benchmark for how, you know, I don't really know another way to describe it, but how much people ought to be thinking about when they, when they decide I'm going to give to God. It was a benchmark. God says 10%. 10%. And note that that requirement, or not that requirement, but the practice of tithing began before the law. Abraham, the father of the Jewish people, before Moses, before the Ten Commandments, before all of that, Abraham tithes to Melchizedek, this priest. And that's the first reference of this practice. But it was before the law. It's not a legalistic thing. And notice this too, that Jesus, now when Jesus comes on the scene, he has the opportunity to undo this or to, to put this aside, this practice of tithing for some other practice. And he chose not to. In fact, he supported it. The, he said to the scribes and Pharisees, he says, you guys... You work really hard in making sure that you tithe even of the, of the spices in your kitchen. And then you let all the weighty matters of your faith uh, be up for grabs. You're focusing on the wrong things. He said, focus on the things that matter, but don't let the other go, uh, go by the board. So he had an opportunity to undo the practice of tithing, and he chose not to, in fact, support it. So it's not, because listen, I, like I told you, I've tried, every, I've tried every excuse in the book. And here's one that I hear people say, because I've, I've said it myself. Well, I'm a New Testament believer. Tithing doesn't apply to me. As though now that I'm saved and sanctified by Jesus Christ, I don't have to give God as much. What kind of sense does that make? Anyway, I just want you to see that this is something that is... Uh, page or, or page after page through the scripture, it's a practice that underlies God's understanding of, or our understanding of what God is wanting from us. The word offering, because well, you'll hear us say tithes and offerings. The word offering uh, simply means beyond the tithe, beyond the tithe, and everybody can just gulp right there. <laughs> beyond, be, 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 yeah. <laughs> And there's times in the scriptures when God called people beyond the tithe to offer. Let's answer a couple of questions and then we're going to turn to Malachi chapter 3. What about net or gross? Because I've been there too, right? And can I just say to you that this is a non-issue. It's not... It's not that God, it's not that God is, is worried about it. Okay? Just get your heart in the right place. Get your heart in the right place and start somewhere and you're going to find that you cannot outgive God. You know, I, we, I remember writing that the check for the first time. I said, all right, God, you're getting 10. I hope you're noticing now. I'm giving you 10%. <laughs> Of my net income. And that was a tough sucker, man. I, that was a hard one. And I felt that for a while. But then I didn't. Because God blesses. He abounds back to you. Your heart, I mean, it's interesting how it happens. You don't really notice it. And yet, you find that there's a blessing in your life. And pretty soon, it wasn't hard to write that check at all. And then I heard the Lord say, 
gross. What? That couldn't be God, right? And I remember, you know, that transition moment. I thought, okay, God. And I felt that one. I felt that one again for a long time. But the Lord is faithful. And, and we never, you, you're going to hear me talk a little more about this in a minute, but we don't give to get, but God gives. He blesses. And, and so you find yourself, I found myself not feeling that anymore. And then I heard the Lord say, benefits. You can't mean that, God. Really? You can't mean And so, yeah, yes, he did. He meant that. And so we began the practice of giving 10% of the value of our combined benefits, health insurance and stuff like that, retirement, whatnot. You cannot outgive God. And he is faithful to bless us. What about spousal um, conflict? You know, where you, you're married to someone who's not on the same page as you about this. Do not let this become some sort of fight between you. That would be undermining the entire intent of what God is after here. But get your own heart in the right place and honor God with what resources you have control over. And then pray. <laughs> God, God knows what he's doing. He knows how to work in the midst of that. But don't let this be a stress thing in a marriage. Uh, now, let's look at Malachi chapter 3. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. Easy to find. Chapter 3. I want to talk to you about the reward. We have this amazing God who invites us into this process whereby he's setting us free. From the grip of material things. And then he says, no, by the way, I'm going to bless you besides. That's this amazing God we have. Malachi chapter 3, <clears throat> verse 10. Bring all the tithes, excuse me, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. I don't know of any other place in the scripture where God begs me to put him to the test. Try me. He says, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts, and all nations will call you blessed for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. There's three things here that are described about God's blessings upon us. In verse 10 he says, I'll open the windows of heaven for you. Sue talked about a few minutes ago about one of those windows of heaven opening up and God just dropping blessing into your life you had no uh, awareness of or anticipation of or expectation for. I could tell you story after story after story about that. Groceries on our doorstep. I mean, there was one time Sue and I made $1 a day for a year, $360 for an entire year. But every bill was paid. We made it through that year just fine. I don't know how. Windows of heaven, you know. God provides. And then he says, I'll, I'll rebuke the devourer. You know, your washing machine could last five years or 50 There is an enemy that we have that wants to devour your material things. We also have a God in heaven who, when he was leading the children of Israel through the wilderness, for 40 years their shoes did not wear out. 
He knows how to do this. He can protect us from the devourer. And he says, the fruit of your vine will, not, um, will be productive. Your labors, the things that you do that bring home a paycheck, God knows how to bless you in that. He knows how to um, uh, cause your career to advance. He knows how to, uh, to um, uh, give you a... I, look, I have never... I've had, uh, man, I'm tempted to tell you a bunch of stories. I won't. Let me just say this. I have never asked for a raise in my life. And I have worked in all kinds of different, primarily I've been a pastor for 30 years, but there have been times when I've done other things as well. I worked in the high-tech industry for about 10 years while I was uh, planting a church. Anyway, never in my life have I ever asked for a raise, and yet God in all of the situations have always added to me. They would say, hey, you know what? We ought to pay you more money. Okay. Because <laughs> God knows how to do this. He knows how to do this. I want to ask uh, Jonathan Eisenhower if he would come and tell us a little story now about how <laughs> a real life uh, story from somebody who's not a pastor <laughs> about how this happened for him. Here you go, bro. Oh, okay. Step down. Thanks, Randy. Yeah. I'll try not to trip over the cord here. Yeah, you know, um, it's funny to be here. Uh, funny to be in church at all uh, with uh, the life I used to lead. Uh, I came to the Lord about uh, 10 years ago and uh, from a very not so, not so great lifestyle, I'll put it to you that way. And it's kind of ironic too that there's so many cops in the audience. And, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, ten, 10 years ago, uh, you know, they would have been uh, chasing me down for, you know, a prescription pill scandal that I was, uh, that I was involved in. And but, you know, um, I, I, never, I never thought I would be um, a Christian. And then, you know, God touched my life. Uh, I came to the point uh, in my life where, uh, despite having a, a, a higher education degree and um, a lot of good things, uh, it wasn't sufficient. And uh, God turned my life around. And, but, you know, I had to have that walk of faith. And it wasn't always easy to begin with. When people started approaching me about tithing, I thought, oh, good grief. Do you guys have any idea what kind of a situation I'm in? Um, I was about $20,000 in debt uh, because of the reckless uh, lifestyle I was leading. Uh, I had uh, child support to pay and uh, just, you know, just a lot of financial obligations. And so my first response when people started talking about tithing is like, okay, God, well, that's fine. As, you know, uh, when I catch up. You know, when I catch up, when I get out of debt and, you know, fulfill all my obligations to my creditors, I'll be happy to give you my money. You know, I, I've always had these, these um, dreams, you know, when I was growing up as a kid that, oh, if I want a million dollars, I'd be so generous and all that. But, you know, God expects us to be generous where we are, whatever our circumstances are. And so at first, you know, um, you know I, was, I, I tried to kind of, you know, do little uh, shortcuts and things like that and realized that that wasn't working. Well, then a really great thing happened in my life. I, I, I met uh, Rochelle and uh, she uh, took pity on me and decided to marry me. And, <laughs> and, uh, but, but she's the one that really led me through scriptures and said, look, you know, God expects us to tithe. And okay, I'll, I'll do that, you know, real, real joyfully, right? And, um, but then she said, well, wait a second, uh, you're only writing a check for 10% on the net, and it really is the gross. And I thought, okay, you're really nuts now. Well, long story short, I, I, you know, I stepped out in faith, and, and we did that. 
Uh, now today, we no longer have any debt. Uh, we have money in the bank. Uh, and, and just I, I, I'm just astonished with the money that comes in from unexpected places, left and right. And, uh, and, and I do give joyfully. Now, that's, you know, that was always the key, you know, is that when I finally got to that point where I was happy to give, you know, when I, look, when I would actually look forward to my paycheck coming in so that I could give it to, uh, to the Lord. You know, and and I, I realize I'm not probably the most exuberant, excited person. You, you know, when you know, we're all singing, everybody has their hands raised up, I'm kind of standing there. That's kind of my, kind of my ethnic German, uh, English stuffy mentality. But you know, I'm happy. I'm happy in here. And that's, and that's what matters. And you know, um, I, I, you know I, we, we give the first fruits. We cut the check before we pay any of our bills and just let God work it out. And, you know, the last four or five years of my life um, has been very difficult financially uh, because maybe some of you know that the federal government has been cutting back a lot with uh, funding and things like the National Institutes of Health and National Science Foundation and things like that. And that has really affected us. Um, And so my job is coming to an end in just another month or two. Uh, but I'm not worried about it, um, you know. It, but that's been an evolution too. It's taken me time to get to that point where I trust God, and 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 just that liberation of knowing that God is going to be there for us, that I don't have to be anxious about anything. That God will, you know, come through for us. And uh, you know, it, it's I give, but I get more than what I what I give out, if that makes sense. And so, thank you. Jonathan was telling me about how since uh, nearly a year ago, uh, he's a scientist, works in, uh, uh, for a lab in Berkeley, and um, he was telling me that for nearly a year now, he's been told, you're going to, you know, this job's going to be gone, we're going to be reducing your salary to 60%, all these things. But he said that every month, I've been getting 100% of what I've been getting, and so he keeps saying that he's going to be out of a job in a month or two, but... You know, I, thank God, you know, thank God that there isn't fear there. I, I uh, bless the Lord's work in your life in that way. He is faithful. I'm going to ask you to note that the offering was already received and another one not, will not be taken now. <laughs> so...